You're listening to Matt Loves Cameras. Mountains, lakes, cheese and chocolate. Fondue, trains, croissants and Swiss army pocket knives. In August, we spent an amazing five days and four nights in Switzerland. But what is the relationship between Switzerland and cheap Instax wide film? Keep listening and find out. I'm Matt Murray and this is Matt Loves Cameras. Everything analog photography related. friends how are you i hope you are well wherever you are all around the world the last 10 days or so i've been out and about in brisbane testing cameras i bought a new camera when i was overseas well i actually bought a couple of new cameras when i was overseas but one of the new ones was an olympus trip so i've been around brisbane the last couple of weeks with my little olympus trip taking some test rolls i hope they turn out okay I had another camera back from repair. Uh, If you listened to the last episode, you probably know which camera I'm talking about. That pesky Canon AE1 program. So I had that back from repair. I won't give you all the details on that, but I've been out shooting with it. And I also sold a whole load of other bits and bobs, including some cameras, and I had a little bit of cash. So unexpectedly, I saw a Nikon FM3A come up on Facebook Marketplace. And uh, it's never really been a camera I was after, to be honest, but it was a pretty good price. Uh, So I pounced on that and I shot a couple of test rolls through that and I'm just waiting to see them. I hope they're going to be really good images. So that's what I've been doing in between uh, preparing for this podcast. Just a quick recap. I'm Matt Murray. I'm a photographer and camera enthusiast from sunny Brisbane in Australia. This podcast is all about analog photography. In many episodes of the podcast, I review a different film or instant camera, telling you about its history, its features, what it's like to use and what kind of photos you can expect from it. In other episodes of the podcast, like today's, I'll chat about a particular topic in film photography. So today's episode, episode 20 of Matt Loves Cameras, I will describe my photographic journey through Switzerland with family in tow in August this year. You can see all the photos I'm going to talk about on the show notes at mattlovescameras.com and I'll put a select few up on the show's Instagram at mattlovescameras. So let me tell you about our five days and four nights in Switzerland. Now, some of you may not believe this, but when we booked the trip through Hong Kong through Switzerland to England, I wasn't really looking forward to going to Switzerland that much. I've been to Switzerland twice before, and really the only reason we booked for Switzerland for this trip as a stopover on the way to England was because my wife gave me the almost impossible task of finding snow for the children to see in Europe in August. So the first time I went to Switzerland, it was 1995. I was a very young man back then, and I had this bus pass uh, from a company called Eurobus. 
and you sort of did a hop on hop off tour around cool places in Europe and there were two sort of intersecting routes of bus lines uh, through Europe and I got in got on in London and you sort of went around in this loop and got off all the tourist places like Florence and Switzerland and Paris and all these places so I actually visited uh, Zurich Lucerne and Geneva as far as I can remember it was a long long time ago and I actually remember being in uh, Lucerne and I was hanging out with a guy called Brad. He was from Iowa. And um, yeah, I remember we went up this mountain together. Uh, it was actually quite expensive for us because we were backpacking, but we got a one-way trip up the mountain and we were actually going to pay for a return. I was, I was willing to pay for a return trip down the mountain, uh, but Brad had other ideas. Brad had was a bit tight with money uh, and Brad said, no, I'm walking back down this mountain. So like an idiot, I said, yeah, sure, let's, let's walk down the mountain. Uh, it was pretty steep in places. Um, I don't know how we both got back down without killing ourselves and tripping over and, and causing some kind of avalanche, but we did. It was in summer, so it wasn't snowy or anything, but it was still quite dangerous. There was rocks and stuff everywhere. And just as we were going down, it probably took us like an hour and a half to get down and uh, just as we were getting towards the bottom this storm was rolling in and I remember us both running down this last slope uh, to get back to the, the bus to take us back to the youth hostel um, so that was one of my one of my memories of Switzerland uh, I'm actually going to look Brad up and see if he's uh, findable on the internet I'll see if I can find any of the, the photos of us from back in the day uh, but that'd be pretty cool if I could do that the second time I went to Switzerland was in 2007. In 2007, my wife and I, we weren't married at the time, but we, we quit our jobs and uh, well, we actually had a career break, which meant that we had six months away from our jobs. We, we worked for the council in uh, England and um, we bought a motorhome, also known as an RV, and we drove around Europe for six months. And so we visited a couple of different cities in Switzerland in 2007. We visited Freiburg and Lausanne and Interlaken. Uh, so it was kind of hard to, to drive around because obviously in a big motorhome, you don't want to visit these tiny little villages or mountain places because it's just too hard to get around. Um, but we did sort of park the motorhome up and visit these places. And we also got a train right up to the top of Europe, the Jungfraujoch, which is where all the snow is uh, all year round, the snow up there, which is pretty cool. So although I visited Switzerland twice, I didn't have any particular love for the place. I mean, it was it's very pretty, undeniably, but compared to other places I'd been to, you know, as part of those longer trips, you know, France, Italy, it just didn't kind of grab me as much. It didn't, yeah, I don't know. I just wasn't in love with the place. But in the lead up to the trip, I started to get a little bit excited. I was really looking forward to going to Switzerland. It had been years since I'd been there before. I'd never really taken the trains in Switzerland. Uh, and I made sure that as well as going to the Jungfrau Jock again to, for us to see the snow, I made sure that we actually had stuff in our itinerary that was going to be really fun for us and the kids and uh, we'd really enjoy. So yeah, I was really looking forward to it. So of course our journey to Switzerland started from Hong Kong and all that drama I told you about in the last episode. So by the time we got to the airport and checked in, we were really excited to be, well actually probably relieved more than excited, uh, to be at the airport on time for our flight to Switzerland. It was a short hop of around 12 hours from Hong Kong to Zurich. 
we had a little bit of drama at the gates to the aircraft where my daughter realised that her brand new Harry Potter jumper had been left in a toilet way back the other side of Hong Kong airport. Uh, To say that my wife was not happy is an understatement. So 12 hours later, we arrived in Zurich and as the plane come down, we sort of saw some, you know, beautiful scenery. It was a bit of a misty kind of rainy, cloudy day and uh, the, the fun continued. My son was sick several times upon landing at Zurich Airport. Now, on Cathay Pacific, on this particular flight, they had no sick bags. So we had to kind of improvise and then eventually uh, some other people also called out to the, the cabin crew for us and we got some sick bags. So it wasn't exactly a great start, but it got better, thankfully. Now, the day we arrived was actually my birthday. Yeah, I was 45 on that day. And uh, what better way to spend your birthday than waking up in Switzerland? Uh, it was very it was very unusual. I think I had spent last year at home doing nothing. So, uh, yeah. It was very cool to be waking up in Switzerland. So when we arrived at Zurich Airport, we headed straight for the SBB office. The SBB is the Swiss Federal Railways. And my wife and I, we bought Swiss passes. And what this gave us was four days of unlimited use on the Swiss Federal Railways, including um, buses and trams in cities, and also boats on places like Lake Geneva. Uh, It also gave us free entry into quite a few different museums. And also, we also had free kind of entry onto some of the gondolas that went up to some of the mountains. Um, but a lot of the other mountains are sort of the, the railways and the gondolas are privately owned. So you only got a discount with the, the rail pass. But still, it was a really good deal. Um, what was even better was that the kids were free. We had to get a Swiss family pass, uh, which was free when we bought our passes. But the kids were free everywhere we went. So I thought that was really brilliant. They, they really know how to do their, their public transport in Switzerland. That was fantastic. So we got on, I think it was three different trains. So we started off in Zurich. We changed in Bern. Then we changed again in Interlaken. And eventually we ended up in Wengen in the mountains of the Jungfrau region, which is a very, very pretty region. So as we were changing trains every hour or so, um, of course, every time that we changed trains, we had to get our luggage on and off these trains. And it was a bit of a pain in the bum, to be honest. The bags were heavy. Quite often, you'd have to step up into the train. Uh, So that wasn't particularly fun. And the fun continued when we got to Wengen because we had to walk to our hotel. It wasn't that far, um, but we had to walk. Wengen is pretty much a a town that has no cars. Uh, So I think you've got to park on the edge of the village and there's very few cars allowed. There are a few kind of like golf cart looking things that whiz around the place. Usually they do deliveries to some of the shops and stuff like that. But generally there are no cars or vehicles in the town. So we walked probably about uh, 150 meters or 200 yards uh, to our hotel. It felt a lot longer with all this baggage behind us. And we went to check into the hotel, but of course the room wasn't ready. And they said, oh, you can leave your bags downstairs for the rest of the day until the room's ready. So, of course, then we had to lug the the baggage down the stairs. So we did that, and then we went back to the train station, and we got two different trains, 
up to the Jungfrau Jock. So from Wangen, we went up to a place called, and please forgive my pronunciation, Kleiner Scheideg. And from Kleiner Scheideg, we changed trains. It wasn't as bad this time because we only had little backpacks on. And from Kleiner Scheideg, we went up to the Jungfrau Jock, which is the top of Europe, they bill it as. So from Wangen up to Kleiner Scheideg, it was really, really pretty. Uh, there's, there's these valleys you're looking at out the window, this beautiful green pastures, is like meadows, and it, it wasn't particularly a, a very nice day. It was cloudy and a bit rainy, but it was just so pretty, all the scenery and the fog and the cloud rolling through the valley and, and these beautiful little alpine towns. So I put a couple of um, photos up on there so you can see. I think the ones I've got are digital, I'm afraid. I don't think there's any film photos that are worthy of showing you. So, yeah, that was really, really pretty. Uh, it took about just over an hour to get up to the Jungfrau Jock. On the way up, just before we got to the top, they stop at somewhere called the Ice Station and you get out of the train for about five minutes and you can sort of, you're basically right above this kind of glacier and it's all beautiful snow everywhere and it's blue sky and white powdery snow everywhere. Uh, so that was really, really cool. So then we continued all the way up to the Jungfrau Jock and you sort of, it's a big sort of complex in the mountain and you sort of walk around looking at different things. So we went, went right up to the top to the summit where there's a Swiss flag and there's a bit of snow and the kids sort of play with the snow for a little bit. But there's a lot of people up there. It was very windy, very chilly, very cold for us. Um, we all had our jumpers on and everyone else up there had their jumpers and woolen hats on and stuff like that. And uh, the kids, after a while, were like, oh, can we just leave place? It's too cold out here. And uh, so we went back down. We had a look at a place called the Ice Palace. So the Ice Palace is this kind of chambers and rooms all made of ice. Even the floor is made of ice. So it's very, very slippery. Um, we had to kind of hold on to my son, the back of his back of his jumper, uh, because he was slipping and sliding everywhere. He's, he's, he's a bit of a clumsy one. So after we negotiated the Ice Palace, uh, we had a few look at a few more things, like we had a hot chocolate in the restaurant, and then we went to the gift shop and had a look around. And the one place we wanted to go was that sort of area of snow um, just below the Jungfrau Jock, where you can go out and you can do sort of sports, um, you can do a few activities. And 10 years ago, 12 years ago when we were there, uh, there was actually like, you know, huskies there and, and dog sleds and stuff like that. Uh, but you could just go out there and do, you know, snow angels, that kind of thing. But unfortunately, because the weather was so bad, they'd closed it off and they said, uh, sorry, you can't go out. And we sort of said, oh, you know, how come? Like, why is it that bad? And they said, to be honest, like the visibility is so low out there, you could walk off and, you know, you wouldn't know where you are. And um, obviously there's a glacier out there somewhere and it's really not a good idea to have people wandering out there in low visibility. It was a bit of a shame that we didn't have better weather up there so the kids could spend more time playing with the snow and having a snowball fight and building snowmen and snow women and, and stuff like that. Uh, but it's just one of those things. We knew that we'd sort of to have to roll the dice and take our chances with the weather. So we then got two trains back down to Wengen. So we were thoroughly knackered by this stage. So in the last 24 hours, of course, we travelled from the hotel Holiday Inn, Holiday Inn in Hong Kong, all the way to this hotel in Wengen, Switzerland. So I think uh, from memory, we walked to the metro in Hong Kong, then we got a train, then we got a taxi, when we got to the airport, we had to get a little shuttle train to a different part of the terminal. We then got on the plane from Hong Kong to Switzerland. 
in Zurich, we got on a shuttle train from one part of the terminal to another. Then we went on three trains from Zurich to Bern to Interlaken to Wengen, dropped our bags off, another train to Kleiner Scheidegg, another one from Kleiner Scheidegg up to the Jungfrau, two trains back down to Wengen in the space of 24 hours. <laughs> so everyone was so tired. But the fun wasn't over yet. When we got back to the hotel in Wengen, they gave us our room key and they said, yep, your room is up on the third floor. And this kind of wave came over me of, oh no. And I said, um, is there a, an elevator, a lift? They went, no, no, there's only the stairs. So I had to go down into the basement, one flight down, and then carry all of our suitcases four flights up. So of course, one flight back to the reception and then three flights back up to the top. So if you're traveling with a lot of luggage in Europe, always check to see if they have an elevator or a lift uh, because it is not fun. Um, now, we, we're actually staying in a kind of a budget option, um, both places in Switzerland. Uh, to be honest, the hotels in Switzerland are so incredibly expensive. I think our place was around uh, $150 US dollars a night and that was the cheapest by far. Every other hotel was double that um, because, of course, we're looking for a room with four beds. As it turned out, the two hotels we had in Switzerland only actually had three beds in. And we knew that before when we booked them, uh, but they were just so much cheaper than all the other hotels. So um, my wife and the two kids were all in one bed together and I was flying solo in a single bed by myself. The room wasn't that big, um, but it was really lovely. It had a little balcony. And so I had nice little uh, beer out in the balcony uh, before we went down to dinner. So we had dinner at the hotel restaurant. Uh, we got down there like, I don't know, maybe 5.30, pretty early for us in the evening. And they said, oh, yeah, we've got one table left. And it wasn't that busy at the time. And we thought, you know, when you go into a restaurant and they look around and say, oh, we've got one table and there's actually about 10 tables free. Um, but sure enough, uh, this hotel restaurant filled up within about half an hour. It was packed. So we were glad we got in there. We ordered way too much food. The problem was that by the time the food arrived, it was probably it took about 15 minutes to arrive, which is pretty good. But the kids had started to fall asleep by the time the food arrived. So we ordered a cheese fondue between my wife and I, which is basically a big, beautiful, big pot of hot, melted, molten kind of cheese. And it comes with this big basket of bread and you have these beautiful long forks and you stick your fork in the bread and then stick it in the cheese. And it was really, really lovely. It was uh, very, very nice, but so filling, obviously, because of all that bread. My daughter ordered a version of macaroni cheese. It was like a Swiss kind of version. It had some cool name like the Swiss Countryman's Cheese Noodles or something. I don't know what it was called, but it was basically macaroni and cheese and she really liked that. My son had ordered chicken nuggets and I think he ate two out of the six and then kind of fell asleep in his plate. Uh, so as we don't like wasting food, uh, silly dad then tried to start stuffing his face with chicken nuggets. And after all that, that cheese fondue, uh, it was a long walk back up those stairs. I tell you what, after that meal, and we didn't even eat it all. Um, but we went to bed very, very tired and very, very full. Cameras. 
So the next morning we got dressed straight out the door onto the train to Grindelwald, which is a town the other side of this kind of mountain ridge. And it's a town where a lot of these activities take place. So we arrived in Grindelwald and we went straight to a cafe for some breakfast. The lady in the cafe was very surprised when we ordered some drinks and ate croissants. Maybe people only order one croissant per person usually. I don't know, but she was kind of shocked at these weird uh, tourists. Uh, But after breakfast, we headed straight to the gondola station at Grindelwald and we bought tickets all the way up to the top of the mountain. There's several stops on the way up and there were four different activities that you can do. Uh, So one of them was closed because, again, it wasn't particularly good weather. There was bad visibility, a bit of fog and cloud and rain around. So there was only three activities open. So we each bought a three activity pass. Uh, So the, the trip up to the top of the mountain and back and the three activities each was around 300 US dollars for all of us. So given that we spent most of the day there, I mean, it was expensive but it was actually pretty good value really um, because they're kind of activities that we've never done before and probably won't ever do again for a long time so it was pretty cool so I really enjoyed the trip up I had the windows of the gondola down the gondola probably seated maybe five or six people and um, we had you know one gondola to ourselves the four of us and so I took quite a few instax wide and other photos at the side of the gondola which was a lot of fun And the first one I've got here in the show notes to tell you about is just one that I took out the window with my Fujifilm Class S. It's just sort of showing the scene. It was quite dark, so I think I put a a stop or two of exposure compensation. And it just shows you the scene, this beautiful green sort of, you know, fields, meadows, pastures, I don't know what they're called, hills, uh, and these beautiful pine trees and lots of little mountain huts and trails everywhere. And then further down the valley, you can see the little towns down there. The next photo below that is taken on the uh, Mint RF70 and it just shows the gondolas there. So it sort of shows you the kind of, yeah, again, the kind of scenery that these gondolas are going up the mountain through, these beautiful green pastures and the pine trees and the, the cloud and the fog and all that. It was very, very pretty. So after a while, we got to the station second from the top of the mountain. We got off there and because there was no queues for the activities, we went straight on something called the first glider. So what this is, it's like a cable um, from one part of the mountain up to the top of the mountain. And there's like this big bird uh, and under the bird, there's these four harnesses and you actually lie horizontal under this big bird strapped into this kind of you know harness under the bird and they then start the the ride so they fling you from the bottom part all the way up to the top of the mountain sort of thing it's probably about i don't know three four hundred meters maybe i don't know um but it takes probably about 70 to 80 seconds to get up to the top and then you pause at the top and then you come back down Uh, Everyone was really loving it until we got to the top when basically we were all surrounded by this cloud. It was so thick you could barely see five, six meters. And uh, my son then got a bit upset because he said he couldn't breathe because of all the cloud. Um, But I've never, ever been strapped to a a big eagle before and flung up a mountain. So it was definitely something different to do. 
We then went up to the top of the mountain where we had a look around the Tissot Cliff Walk. So this is like a, a walk around the top of the mountain, sort of summit or I don't know what you call it. Uh, but basically the, the walkway is kind of on the edge of the mountain. And when you look down, it's kind of see-through or like a grill so you can see below you. Uh, you're basically, you know, attached to the side of the mountain and you're looking down a long way. So it was a little bit scary, but I think the scariness of it for me was um, muted by the fact of the, of the weather was so cloudy and foggy. So you couldn't really see that far or anything. Um, but you could definitely tell that you were on the edge of a mountain. So the next photo I've got there is a couple of pictures of the fam walking around the Clisso Tiff Walk. I've then got a picture of some lovely cows that were up atop of the mountain. Uh, the alpine cows here were taken on the Mint Instacon RF70 on Instax Wide. We then went down one station down the mountain on the gondola to our next activity, which was the mountain carding. Very, very cool. So we arrived at the mountain carding and there's a bit of drama. My son was not tall enough to do the mountain carding and he was very upset. And the lady there was saying, no, no, I'm sorry, he's not tall enough. You know, it's probably only about an inch in it, you know, two or three centimeters. But then one of the guys who was working there, who was English, came over and asked what was going on. And he said, oh, he'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Um, so the, the lady wasn't very impressed, I don't think. But he, he, the English guy said, look, just put um, your wife's backpack on your little boy. That will push him forward in the mountain cart seat a little bit more and he'll be able to reach the pedals. You know, you're doing this at your own risk, though. But as long as you're happy, um, you know, we're happy. So he said, yeah, yeah, fine. That's no worries. So we all um, got uh, our little mountain carts. So they're little carts with three wheels. Um, sort of high handlebars with brakes on and you sort of sit in them very low to the ground and you go down this this track down the mountain from one of the stations uh, down to the next station. The vast majority of the track down the mountain was like a little road, so it was very smooth and nice. There was a couple of sections, though, where it was gravel, uh, and near the start, I actually had to push the kids because there was a little dip in the road, and they, they had no weight behind them because they're quite light. They couldn't, yeah, sort of get over that ridge by themselves. So poor old dad had to get out and <laughs> push them over the ridge, then run back and do the next child, and then run back and get my own cart. Uh, so that was a bit annoying near the start, but it, it was actually a lot of fun. Uh, so the next photo in the show notes is a photo taken with my three lens plastic camera, the Disdere robot, which I took up to the top of the mountain. It's taken on Kodak Gold and it's my little boy in the mountain cart there. He's kind of, he always squints in photos, um, but he's squinting in this photo and you can see him on the mountain bike there on a bit of a gravel section of the road. And there's a gondola in the background there. Right below that photo, I've embedded a video of us going down the mountain in the mountain carts that I shot while uh, while driving my little mountain cart. And it was a lot of fun going down this mountain in the mountain carts. However, some of my fun was definitely affected by me worrying. I was really worried about my son going off to the left, driving off to the left down the mountain slope. Uh, I don't think anyone would have died if you went off to the side. I think you'd certainly get hurt. Uh, it wasn't like a, a really steep drop to the bottom or anything, but there was a very long slope going down quite a long way down the mountain. So I think if you drove off to the left too far, yeah, you would probably do a roly-poly down the mountain quite a way. So I was worried about my son doing that, um, but luckily he stuck to the path.
After some lunch, next up were the trotty bikes. So the trotty bikes look like, ooh, I look like a scooter, I guess. They're kind of like a stand-up bike, um, but it looks like a bit like a scooter. It's got two wheels and a bit in the middle where you put your feet and these handlebars. And on the handlebars, there's brakes. And so the idea, again, is you go down the mountain. This time, instead of sitting down in your cart, you're standing up on the trotty bike. So everyone was really excited for the trolley bikes. We headed off down the mountain and within 20 seconds, even though we'd given the kids a safety brief about being very careful, about not going too fast, about squeezing the brakes together, my daughter kind of panicked at how fast it went and she only pressed one of the brakes and she fell off onto the bikeway and the trolley bike landed on top of her. Now, that actually sounds pretty bad, but she was actually okay. She kind of had a few tears, understandably, and she sort of hurt her hand. But even though she'd gone face down on the bikeway, she, she was actually kind of okay. And uh, even though the trolley bike had landed on top of her, it, she wasn't too bad. I think she had a couple of bruises over the next week, but she was, she was pretty brave. She got up and we kept going. Once again, the trotty bikes were really, really fun. But again, as parents, our enjoyment of the activity was totally um, muted by the fact that we were worried about the kids. My son, unusually, he was really good on the trotty bike. He didn't have any accidents until right near the bottom when he started being silly in one section and he fell off as well. Uh, despite my constant um, coaching and telling him he was doing a good job and you know being careful, he did fall off as well. And there were few tears. Uh, it was actually a really long uh, ride. So I reckon it was about, I think it was about five kilometers, three miles. Uh, that's how far I reckon it was. I don't actually know. I don't have any official figures. Maybe it was only half that far, but it seemed like a long time. Towards the bottom section of the the track as well, you're actually going through villages on the road um, all the way back to the, the bottom station where the gondolas um, start off. So it was really interesting um, doing that. All the middle section of the ride was through these beautiful pastures, beautiful like little lanes going down through mountain huts with flowers and cabins and all that kind of stuff. So it was uh, really, really lovely doing that. And of course, I did stop my trolley bike quite a few times to take photos on the way down. And one of the ones here in the show notes is this beautiful looking cabin with the driveway and you've got these beautiful browns and greens and uh, yeah, the, the mist and the cloud in the background there. So that is one of the photos uh, that I took on the way down. Now, instead of going back to the hotel and chilling, we actually then went on a further excursion. So we got the train and the bus to a gondola station up to the Shilthorn. And I think there was like four or five cable cars and gondolas uh, up all the way to the Shilhorn Mountain, which was really, really cool. Again, the weather wasn't very good. And again, the visibility was very poor. But at the top of the Shilhorn, uh, it's actually where they filmed one of the James Bond movies. It was On Her Majesty's Secret Service, which is the only Bond film that George Lazenby was in. Uh, So that was really cool. We went up there and looked at all the Bond memorabilia and all that kind of stuff. Um, And then we got the cable cars and the gondolas back down the bottom and went back to our hotel where everyone was once again completely knackered. Our hotel, the restaurant there was full, so we couldn't eat there. So we found a fancy restaurant nearby and we decided to order some food. 
I was keen just to go for the cheese fondue again, but my wife and my daughter wanted to try the Trilogy fondue, which was three fondues in a row. So the first one was a cheese one, which was nice. It was actually quite um, very winey, kind of tasted very strong of white wine. Um, and I, I like white wine, but it had a, a different kind of taste that we didn't like quite as much as the one the night before. The third course was a chocolate fondue, which was fruits and all that, you know, stuff you could dip in the chocolate. It was lovely. But the middle one was one called the Chinese fondue. And, uh, you know, this is obviously an English translation of a Swiss dish. And so we sort of said, oh, you know, like, what is the Chinese fondue? And they said, oh, it's like a hot pot. And we're like, oh, okay. We didn't really understand what that meant. Anyway, so for this Chinese fondue, the first thing they brought out was a big bowl of water with nothing in. And we think, why why they brought us a bowl of water? Uh, Because, of course, in the cheese fondue, it's full of cheese and you dip your bread in the cheese. In the chocolate fondue, it's the pot's full of chocolate and you dip your fruit in the chocolate. But this one was full of water, like hot water. And they brought out some vegetables and sauces and all this. And they brought they brought out some meats, like a rolled up meat. So I don't know about where you guys live, but certainly uh, in Australia and in the United Kingdom, you know, when you go into a supermarket and you buy ham, for example, it's always rolled up in very thin slices. And you can also buy chicken and beef in sort of very thin slices as well. And so this is what it looked like. It was like a tray of meat in rolled up, very thin sliced meat in rolls. And I'm sort of looking around for the waiter to ask him, like, you know, are you, is there anything more to come? Like, what do we do? I don't understand what we've got to do. We've got the meat, we've got the vegetables, we've got this hot water. So in the meantime, my wife offers the tray of meat to my son. And uh, I'm sort of looking around the room while this is happening, thinking, you know, they're going to come back and tell us what we're supposed to do with this hot pot. And uh, my wife gives my son some of the meats. So he tries all three meats. He tries the two beef. There was a beef, there was a veal, and there was a chicken. And so he's trying to put him in his mouth and chewing them. And he puts them on his plate and says, oh, I don't like these, mum. I don't like them. And then uh, my wife puts the tray of meat down back on the table. And that's when I noticed some juices running towards the bottom of the tray. Yes, it dawned on me in that instant what we were supposed to do the meat was raw it was raw meat now i know you guys probably think i'm an idiot or we're idiots for not realizing that the water in the pot was to cook the meat and the vegetables but number one we never had fondue before okay number two the meats i don't know where you guys live but in australia you just don't get raw meat cut up very thinly sliced and rolled up that's usually cooked meat like ham or you know rolled up chicken or beef and stuff uh so we just thought it was cooked meat um so my son basically ate some raw beef which is not too bad but he ate some raw chicken as well a tiny bit of raw chicken uh and we then spent the next two or three days worried sick that he would get salmonella or something um but i'm pleased to say that uh no he wasn't sick he didn't get salmonella he only tasted a tiny tiny morsel of each one and he's lived to tell the tale about how mum tried to poison me with raw chicken check out the show notes at mattlovescameras.com if you're on Instagram, come say hi at Matt Loves Cameras. Or if you fancy getting in touch, drop us a line at mattlovescameras at gmail.com. 
So the next morning, we got the train back down the mountain to Interlaken Ost Station, where we boarded the Golden Pass Line train to Montreux on beautiful Lake Geneva. So the trip is sort of in two parts. So the first part of the trip was from Interlaken Ost through to Zweisimmen. And at Zweisimmen, you actually have to change trains. And when you change train, you actually go for the bit from Zweisimmen through to Montreux is on a panoramic train, which was really, really cool. So the first section, uh, we got on the board, the train at Interlaken Ost, and we had seat reservations. So that's really important if you're in Europe in peak season, you're not guaranteed a place on the train, a seat, and a lot of people reserve seats. So if you sit in someone else's seat, they can kick you out. So we got in our uh, little uh, booth of four people, and uh, the train rolled on to Interlaken West Station, so one station down the line. That's where a tour guide got on and suddenly announced to half of the train, hey, you guys are all in our seats, you need to clear out because we've reserved these seats. So I sort of sat there looking at my reservation, triple checking we are in the right seats. And uh, the tour guide went up to the people opposite us and said, right, you need to clear out. These are our seats. And the lady said, uh, actually, these are our seats. Here's our reservation. And the tour guide said, no, 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 we've booked this whole part of the train. So they then looked at all the ticket reservations and realized that the tour guide had got on the wrong parts of this carriage. She should have got on at the other end of the carriage because that was the section she had booked. So with her tail between the legs, she sort of uh, walked down the other end of the carriage, uh, followed by a procession of her tour group, all people from the United States, uh, people in their 60s, 70s and 80s by the look of it. And they all had name tags on. So, you know, there was Betty from Wisconsin and, and Marge from New Jersey and, you know, Pete from Arizona. And so they walked through the uh, the cabin. I think they were a little bit embarrassed about what a guy on uh, this tour guide, you know, loudly announcing for everyone to clear off, uh, but she was actually in the wrong. So the train rolled on to Zweisimmen. It took about, oh, about an hour and 15 minutes to get to Zweisimmen. That part of the journey, look, it was quite nice. It was, there was some pretty sections to it. I wouldn't have said it was completely amazing, wow, outstanding, but it was nice looking out the window and enjoying the scenery. At Zweisimmen, we had to change trains. So we changed onto the panoramic train. I think we had about 12 minutes. Uh, and once again, we had to get all our bags off one train and onto the next one. Now for this train, because all of these second class carriages were booked out, I actually had to book us in first class. Uh, and it wasn't actually as bad as it sounds. Um, what I had to do was I had to go onto the Swiss Railways app and I had to choose the section of the journey, which was Zoisimen to Montreux. And then I just had to pay a little upgrade fee. I think it was like, I don't know, maybe $10, $15 and, uh, for both me and my wife. And um, the, the kids were free, obviously, with the family pass. And then we were sitting in first class on the panoramic train, which was very, very nice. So the wife and the kids sort of played games and cards and trivia books uh, while we were rolling along in the panoramic train. I was looking out the windows and trying to take photos. The problem with the windows were they were kind of from 
I guess from your waist level all the way up to the top of the train almost. So they were bigger, way bigger train windows than normal, but they were very reflective. So trying to take a photo out the window was really, really hard because all you typically got was a reflection of, or partial reflection at least, of the interior of the train carriage. So uh, that was a bit disappointing. I thought they might have made it a bit easier for photographers like me to take some photos out the window, uh, but sadly not. Again, the, the, the scenery was very pretty. I just don't know if it kind of lived up to the hype of what I'd heard people talk about this journey. People were talking about it like it was one of the best train trips in the world. And yeah, it was very pleasant, but I'm not sure personally I would have put it in that category. The only sort of wow bit for me was when we descended out of the hills on the way down to Montreux, you had glimpses of Lake Geneva. You had some glimpses of some vineyards and a castle and cool stuff like that. So I did enjoy it. I just didn't think it lived up quite to the expectations that I'd heard about. So we arrived in Montreux and it was very, very warm. We sort of took our jumpers off and we were in our t-shirts. We wheeled our suitcases through the streets down to the hotel. Once again, there was the room wasn't ready for us, uh, but we put our bags in storage and then we walked along a beautiful Lake Geneva. It was such a beautiful day. After the cooler, rainier weather, the last couple of days in the mountains, uh, to have some beautiful sunshine and a nice breeze by the lake, Uh, It was like we're in a completely different country almost. It was just amazing that they had this beautiful weather. So the next four photos I have in the show notes are actually four photos, four different cameras, three different films, the same scene. Uh, So these are beautiful yellow flowers and orange flowers and white flowers on the edge of Lake Geneva. So the first one was taken on the Class S with Portra 400. I really like that one. The next one I think is probably my favorite. It's the XA on Kodak Gold 200. Just a beautiful crisp photo with lovely colors. I really like that one. The next one is a little bit different because I had some Seagull photo bombers and it was taken on the Olympus LT1 with Kodak Gold 200. And of course, the last one was the RF70 on Instax Wide. So have a look at those photos, four photos of pretty much the same scene and see which one is your favorite. Also by the lake, I saw some kids feeding the birds. These are not my kids, they're just random kids. And so uh, they were feeding the birds, having a great time. So I took a photo of them there on the LT1 as part of my frugal film project role for August. The next one is of some beautiful swans basking in that lovely cool water in the sunshine. I really like that photo as well. We actually did this walk a couple of days in a row, just walking alongside the the lake, Lake Geneva, uh, along the waterfront there. It was actually really beautiful. Uh, Every day there'd be sort of different entertainers out there, like buskers and stuff like that. One day there was this amazing guy with marionettes and he had like eight different marionettes and he did a little story for each one with music. It was really, really cool. And another day we saw an old friend. Yes, we saw Marshall Dalmatian, uh, the Paw Patrol character in this instance. He was standing by Lake Geneva. So, of course, we have our own Marshall Dalmatian in our house who we were missing as we were on holidays. So the kids had a photo with Marshall Dalmatian um, on the the edge of Lake Geneva. 
We kept walking past all the street entertainers and eventually we came to a pier where the paddle steamers operate from. So paddle steamers have been operating on Lake Geneva since the 1890s. Originally they all were steam powered but I think they were converted mostly to diesel in the 1930s. And there's all these beautiful boats. Um, they, they're actually called Belle Epoque paddle steamers. The Belle Epoque was a period of history from about 1870 through to the start of World War One, And, you know, some very beautiful kind of architecture and some very beautiful um, industrial relics from that age still around like these beautiful paddle steamers. So there's actually quite a few destinations you can go to uh, on Lake Geneva. We're in Montreux. You can go to destinations in Switzerland like, uh, you know, Lausanne and places like that. You can also even go catch one of the boats to France because <laughs> part of uh, Lake Geneva is in France. Uh, so, yeah, it's a really, really interesting way to get around. Um, so we actually caught the boats. Or actually, there's a picture of a boat on the show notes. So that's just the, the ferry pier where you get on. And you can see the sort of Belle Epoque steamer there. Um, that was taken with the Olympus LT1 with Kodak Gold 200. And we actually took the boat on a very short trip down to the Chateau de Chillon. So the Chateau de Chillon is one of the castles in Switzerland. It's right on Lake Geneva. It's a very pretty looking castle. What I announced to the family, that's what we were doing for the afternoon. There were more than a few moans and groans. But when we actually got to the Chateau de Chillon, um, the kids and the missus really enjoyed it. And they insisted on getting a map and going to every single room room making sure that we didn't miss out on any of the attractions of the castle it was a really hot day from memory we were drinking a lot of water it was very sunny um, but it was a really nice way to spend an afternoon so the next two photos are of the castle. The first one is using my trusty Desdere robot, the three lens plastic camera. Uh, and you can actually, I really like this photo. You can actually sort of see the difference between the lenses. The lens at the top is a little bit overexposed, that part of the image. You can see there on the top of the castle, it's pretty bright, but then look, contrast that to the image on the bottom left it's actually a pretty good exposure uh so it's actually really interesting that the lenses have different characteristics also at the top there you can see that the castle looks fairly sharp but go over towards the boats on the left and it is a little bit fuzzy around the edges and a bit vignetted as well so you are getting these uh interesting sort of effects from the camera the next image of the Chateau de Chillon is from my trusty Olympus LT1 using Kodak Gold 200. I really like that one. That was one of the images I submitted for the Frugal Film Project in August. The next three images are again from the Desdere robot, the hero of Lake Geneva, this camera was. Uh, so one is taken in a portrait orientation on the Belle Epoque paddle steamer and you can sort of see different views there of the boat and people on the boats the beautiful scenery and the sky in the background the next one was taken i think it was taken the very next day actually uh we took the boat a few times i really loved getting on the boat it was such fun just going around the lake 
on this boat. Um, and on this particular evening, it was really rough, choppy seas. And so my kids were sitting on the edge of the boat and the boat was kind of going up and down, up and down. And every now and again, they would get splashed with some nice, fresh, cold water from Lake Geneva, which they thought was hilarious. My wife actually went over on one occasion to make sure they were okay. And my wife got drenched, which everyone found hilarious uh, because it was totally hilarious. The next one down, again, is a Desdere robot. Uh, This is a lone swan on Lake Geneva. And the next one, again, was taken from the back of a boat on Lake Geneva. It was taken on the Fujifilm Class S with Portra 400. It's a picture of the Swiss flag with the lake in the background. So that first night we got back to the hotel and I actually heard a really interesting argument when I went downstairs to ask for a, um, a, a British uh, adapter for my electrical goods. One of my adapters had broken, it wasn't working and we needed to charge our iPhones and laptops and all this kind of stuff. So I went down to ask the very friendly guy in reception. Of course, Montreux, where we were now, is in French-speaking Switzerland. So I went down to reception and there's a German-Swiss gentleman speaking English to the French-Swiss gentleman. (laughs) So they're actually using English as a language uh, to converse because the French-speaking guy doesn't know German and the German-speaking guy doesn't know French, but they both know English. How crazy yet wonderful is that? And the whole argument centered around the fact that the elderly gentleman, he wanted to watch the news that night in Swiss-German. But at this hotel in Montreux, the range of channels was a little bit limited. They had CNN and all these English-speaking news channels and no Swiss-German news channel. And he was not happy. Uh, So it was kind of a funny conversation going back and forth between them. Uh, And just on a side note... A lot of Swiss people speak excellent English. Um, So I was trying to speak French in the uh, French-speaking part of Switzerland because I did learn French many years ago and I did an okay job here and there. Uh, But so many people speak English. um, They kind of put you to shame, really, how linguistically diverse they are. So on our fourth day in Switzerland, we went back to the train station at Montreux and we caught the Golden Pass line back towards Interlaken about 45 minutes. We went back that way. And this time we actually had a Belle Epoque train. So it was a beautiful old historic train from, I don't know, the 19, early 1900s. It was very, very beautiful. And we were only on the train for about 40 minutes though, because we got off and we headed up to the Gruyere region. Of course, you might know the Gruyere region because of the cheese called Gruyere. Um, But there's other delights in the region as well. So the first place we went to was the Kaye Chocolate Factory. And uh, we actually caught the train there. It was very cool. It was a couple of different changes. And the train rolled into this tiny little village. And I love Swiss trains. They're just big and modern and beautiful. They're so easy to get around with. And even the most tiniest little villages where there's literally just a few houses and a chocolate factory, you can get a train there. It's very, very impressive. And of course, being a train fan, I took a photo of the trains with my Disdere robot. So on the show notes, the second last image is of the red and white Gruyere train in triplicate. So we got off the train and we went to the chocolate factory. 
again with the chocolate factory. It was free with our Swiss passes, so I was very happy. Uh, we went in for the, the tour. It was actually really good. It told you about the history of chocolate. You went from room to room, and there was all these kind of uh, displays and interactive things. Um, sometimes those things can be a bit not very good, uh, but this one was actually really good. So if you're ever in that region, yeah, I definitely recommend a visit to the Cayet Chocolate Factory. Later on in the tour, of course, you got to taste the chocolate and they were not skimpy with giving you chocolate to try. So they gave you all these little tiny ones wrapped up and we, I took about 10 and the kids took about 10 each. Um, but you could take as many as you wanted. So I thought, well, I'll take some for later on. I had about five and kept five for later on. And then we come to this other room. I didn't even know there was a second room. And they had all this chocolate out on plates. It was about a dozen different types of chocolate and you could take as many as you wanted and just keep eating. And so, of course, in a chocolate factory, surrounded by the beautiful smell of chocolate, I think I had about 12 to 14 pieces of chocolate all up. And for the second time in the trip, I discovered that too much of a good thing makes you feel sick. Of course, you might remember from last episode with the roller coasters, I overdid it and felt sick. This time was just as bad. I had so many pieces of chocolate, I started to feel like, oh my goodness, am I going to be sick? Um, Thankfully, I wasn't. But again, I learned a very valuable lesson in life. We then caught the train to Gruyere, the pretty little town of Gruyere. And we went to the Gruyere Cheese Factory, which is right opposite the train station. And again, you're kind of thinking, you know, a tour of a cheese factory, how interesting will this really be? But it actually was quite good. Uh, you had an audio guide in English, and it was actually told from the point of view of a cow. <laughs> uh, I can't remember her name, but she was a cow, and she told us all about Gruyere cheese, and it was very interesting. As part of the tour, again, by the way, this was part of the Swiss Pass. We went into the Gruyere cheese factory for free. And uh, as, again, they gave us some samples. So they gave us some three different samples of Gruyere cheese, It might be like three months, six months, and 10 months from memory. And of course, there were different tastes to them all. The kids didn't really like the Gruyere cheese. So I said, oh yeah, I'll I'll have a bit of yours. Um, I'd sort of felt a bit better at this stage. Uh, It was probably about an hour after the chocolate. But then I had too much cheese and I thought, oh man, I've overdone it again. I just don't learn. I just don't learn. We then walked into uh, the main part of Gruyere, which is up a big hill, probably... I don't know, half a kilometer, you know, a third of a mile up this big hill, up into the, the walled town of Gruyere. We visited the castle. Uh, the castle was pretty cool. Again, we got in for free with the Swiss pass. The kids sort of played around on some city walls and they loved it. And uh, I actually took a whole load of photos of some cows and I actually have the sound of some cowbells here. So have a listen to this. I could listen to that all day. I love the love the sound of those cowbells. So after we uh, finished at Gruyere, we got the train back to Montreux. We were absolutely exhausted. We went out again in the evening for some dinner and we went to the Queen Experience. There's a little uh, museum at Montreux Casino about Queen, the, the band, which is very, very interesting. Of course, Queen did quite a bit of recording in Montreux and it's where Freddie Mercury lived in the later part of his life. 
The next morning, we got a taxi back to Montreux train station. I was not going to lug all my baggage once again. It was just too hot. So we got, we got a taxi. As we were waiting for the train to Geneva, I snapped a couple of photos from the elevated train platform of a nice building. So that is the last sort of photo on the show notes. Taken with the RF-70, it's an Instax photo of this beautiful building and I kind of wondered oh wouldn't it be cool if I went to live in Montreux I could live in a place like this with a beautiful balcony with beautiful flowers and look out towards the lake how nice would that be we got the train to Geneva we could have got one straight to the airport but we had a couple of errands to run in Geneva so when we got to Geneva train station uh, my wife and my daughter They stayed at a cafe and chilled out, and my son and I, off we went. So it was a beautiful sunny day. We walked about uh, about a mile from the train station to the Victorinox store, and uh, at the Victorinox store, my son picked out the pocket knife he wanted. He got a nice little leather case for it. And we actually had it engraved there on site, which was really cool. So he was really, really happy. I was kind of in a rush because I knew that my wife wasn't happy to be waiting around too long. She didn't want us gone for hours because we had a plane to catch. So as we come out the store, there was some sort of cobblestones and instinctively, um, from someone who lives in a country where we drive on the left, I looked towards my right um, because that's the way that, you know, the closest traffic would be coming from. And I stepped out onto the road with my little boy holding his hand. And then I looked towards the left and there was this huge bus gliding by probably, I don't know, eight, 10 inches, 20 centimeters in front of my face. I almost got hit by the bus. I wasn't uh, paying attention to what I was doing. I looked at the wrong way. Of course, I was in Europe where they drive on an opposite side of the street to what we drive of in Australia. And uh, I was just so rushing around. I wasn't being very safe. And I kind of had one of those moments where my heart was in my mouth and I was like, you know, another couple of seconds earlier, I would have walked out in front of that bus and I wouldn't be here. So, wow, it was a real wake up call not to be so silly rushing around being an idiot. Now, the second place we went to, just by chance, it was more or less opposite the Victorinox store. There was a department store that I had to go to. Actually, it was a co-op. It was a co-op department store. Now, this part of the story starts about two or three weeks before we left on our holiday. And I saw a post in an Instax group about some very cheap film being sold in Switzerland. Instax wide film, slightly out of date by like a couple of months, being sold in Switzerland for five Swiss francs a pack, which is almost exactly five US dollars a pack. So I thought, right, I want to get myself some of this. Uh, Like a lot of other people in the Facebook group, I tried to order it to my home address, which was outside Switzerland, but this particular company only delivered to Switzerland and Liechtenstein, which of course is surrounded by Switzerland. So um, I thought, well, how can I get my hands on this film? I know, I'm in Switzerland in a couple of weeks' time. So what I did was, before we left for Hong Kong, I actually ordered 12 packs of Instax wide film to be sent to this co-op department store in Geneva as a pickup location uh, where I could pay cash on delivery and pick up 12 packs of this film in the department store. So it took me a while to work out where the pickup station was uh, for pickup packages. Went straight to the top of the department store and they had it at the back and I bought 
12 packs of insects wide for five US dollars each. So I was very, very happy. We then headed back to the train station uh, with our purchases. Very, very happy. Got all our stuff on the plane and headed off for England for the next part of the adventure. So, of course, there are multiple ways you can get in touch with me. You can email mattlovescameras at gmail.com. You can go to the website mattlovescameras.com and leave a comment on one of the show notes. You can also send me a direct message by visiting my Instagram profile, mattlovescameras. And as well as sending me a direct message on Instagram, which quite a few of you have, I'd also like you these days, because we're getting a bit up on technology, to send me an audio clip through Instagram direct message. So you click on my profile and it'll say message on there. And when you go through to the private message, there's actually a little microphone. And if you press and hold that the whole time that you want to send a message, uh, leave your message and then stop pressing it, it'll send it to me. And I think there's like a one minute limit to it. So I'd love you to send me feedback on the show, what you like, what you didn't like, if you have any questions. Um, But to kick things off, given that I'm in the middle of doing some travel episodes, I'm going to ask you guys this question what is your favorite travel destination and which film camera did you take with you so it could be the hong kong with the rf70 it could be paris with the om1 or new york with the pentax 67 i would love to hear your favorite travel and film camera combinations so go to my profile on instagram matt loves cameras press message and find that little microphone, press and hold it and let me know your favorite combinations. And in case you're wondering, yes, I totally stole this segment idea from the new podcast, All Through a Lens, which of course features Eric, Conspiracy of Cartographers and Surf Martian, who of course is Vanya. Uh, And I have enjoyed listening to their episodes so far. So um, yeah, definitely go check their podcast out, All Through a Lens. It's another one worth listening to. Just to finish off this podcast, I have a review, a new review uh, to read out to you from Apple Podcasts. I really love getting these. It's really amazing what people say. And uh, I feel a bit embarrassed um, that people say nice things, but um, it's really good to hear and and great that people enjoy the podcast. So this is from R. John B., their name on Apple Podcasts. And they left this in September on Apple Podcasts, the Canadian version, I believe. And so it's called Really Liking This Podcast. I started with the episode with helpful tips on buying cameras through eBay and I got hooked. Matt has a good personality for this kind of stuff. Well, thank you so much. I'm blushing here. You might even consider doing something with Video Matt so we can see the content as you talk about it. Enough of my jabbering. Check this podcast out now. Smiley face with sunglasses on. Well, thank you so much to R. John B. for that lovely review. And yes, I have some, well, I think this is the first time I've told anyone, but I am seriously thinking about doing some stuff with video and YouTube in the new year. Of course, there's a lot of planning around that. And and one thing I've got to get sorted out is how am I going to make myself look good for video? I probably need some kind of extensive makeup, um, sort of makeup artist (laughs) to make me look any good. Uh, But I have been thinking about it for a while. Of course, there's a lot of work that goes into podcasts. And if I could easily then turn that work 
into a short little video about a camera, I'm kind of thinking, well, why not do it? There's a lot of good people on YouTube who do that kind of thing already. One that springs to mind that I've been watching lately is Dave Mahali, the old camera guy. I really enjoy his videos. Um, but I am thinking, yeah, I've sort of been inspired and thinking, hmm, maybe I should do that as well. So watch this space. That's all for this episode. Get out there, shoot those cameras, shoot that film. I'll be back very, very soon with an episode on our first couple of weeks in England when we landed in beautiful Shropshire. That's it for this time. Cheerio. Bye-bye. and a Creative Commons license. The End by Cassie. Soundcloud.com forward slash Cassie NMZ. Check the show notes for the link.